The Backward of the Cruise of the Snark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. The Cruise of the Snark by Jack London. Backward. The Snark was forty-three feet on the waterline and fifty-five overall, with fifteen-foot beam, tumble-home sides, and seven feet eight inches draft. She was catch-rigged, carrying flying jib, jib, fore staysail, mainsail, mizzen, and spinnaker. There were six feet of headroom below, and she was crown-decked and flush-decked. There were four alleged water-tight compartments, a seventy-horse power auxiliary gas engine sporadically furnished locomotion at an approximate cost of twenty dollars per mile. A five-horse power engine ran the pumps when it was in order, and on two occasions proved capable of furnishing juice for the searchlight. The storage batteries worked four to five times in the course of two years. The fourteen-foot launch was rumored to work at times, but it invariably broke down whenever I stepped on board. But the snark sailed. It was the only way she could get anywhere. She sailed for two years, and never touched rock, reef, nor shoal. She had no inside ballast, her iron keel weighed five tons, but her deep draft and high freeboard made her very stiff. Caught under full sail in tropic squalls, she buried her rail and deck many times, but stubbornly refused to turn turtle. She steered easily, and she could run day and night without steering, close by, full and by, and with the wind abeam. With the wind on her quarter, the sails properly trimmed, she steered herself within two points. And with the wind almost astern, she required scarcely three points for self-steering. The snark was built in San Francisco. The morning her iron keel was to be cast was the morning of the great earthquake. Then came anarchy. Six months overdue in the building, I sailed the shell of her to Hawaii to be finished. The engine lashed to the bottom, building materials lashed on deck, had I remained in San Francisco for completion, I'd still be there. As it was, partly built, she cost four times what she ought to have cost. The snark was born, unfortunately. She was libeled in San Francisco, had her checks protested as fraudulent in Hawaii, and was fined for breach of quarantine in the Solomons. To save themselves, the newspapers could not tell the truth about her. When I discharged an incompetent captain, they said I had beaten him to a pulp. When one young man returned home to continue at college, it was reported that I was a regular Wolf Larsen, and that my whole crew had deserted because I had beaten it to a pulp. In fact, the only blow struck on the snark was when the cook was manhandled by a captain who had shipped with me under false pretenses, and whom I discharged in Fiji. Also, also, Charmaine and I boxed for exercise, but neither of us was seriously maimed. The voyage was our idea of a good time. I built the snark and paid for it and for all expenses. I contracted to write 35,000 words descriptive of the trip for a magazine which was to pay me the same rate I received for stories written at home. Promptly the magazine advertised that it was sending me especially around the world for itself. It was a wealthy magazine, and every man who had business dealings with the snark charged three prices because, forsooth, the magazine could afford it. Down in the uttermost South Sea Isle this myth obtained and I paid accordingly. To this day, everybody believes that the magazine paid for everything, and that I made a fortune out of the voyage. It is hard, after such advertising, to hammer it into the human understanding that the whole voyage was done for the fun of it. I went to Australia to go into a hospital, where I spent five weeks. I spent five months miserably sick in hotels. 
the mysterious malady that afflicted my hands was too much for the australian specialists it was unknown in the literature of medicine no case like it had ever been reported it extended from my hands to my feet so that at times i was as helpless as a child on occasions my hands were twice their natural size with seven dead and dying skins peeling off at the same time there were times when my toenails in twenty-four hours grew as thick as they were long after filing them off inside another twenty-four hours they were as thick as before the australian specialists agreed that the malady was non-parasitic and that therefore it must be nervous it did not mend and it was impossible for me to continue the voyage the only way i could have continued it would have been by being lashed in my bunk for in my helpless condition unable to clutch with my hands i could not have moved about on a small rolling boat also i said to myself that while there were many boats and many voyages i had but one pair of hands and one set of toenails still further i reasoned that in my own climate of california i had always maintained a stable nervous equilibrium so back i came since my return i have completely recovered and i have found out what was the matter with me i encountered a book by lieutenant colonel charles e woodruff of the united states entitled effect of tropical light on white men then i knew later i met colonel woodruff and learned that he had been similarly afflicted himself an army surgeon seventeen army surgeons sat on his case in the philippines and like the australian specialists confessed themselves beaten in brief i had a strong predisposition towards the tissue destructiveness of tropical light i was being torn to pieces by the ultraviolet rays just as my many experimenters with the x-rays have been torn to pieces in passing i may mention that among the other afflictions that jointly compelled the abandonment of the voyage was one that is variously called the healthy man's disease european leprosy and biblical leprosy unlike true leprosy nothing is known of this mysterious malady no doctor has ever claimed a cure for a case of it though spontaneous cures are recorded it comes they know not how it is they know not what it goes they know not why without the use of drugs merely by living in the wholesome california climate my silvery skin vanished the only hope the doctors had held out to me was a spontaneous cure and such a cure was mine a last word the test of the voyage it is easy enough for me or any man to say that it was enjoyable but there is a better witness the one woman who made it from beginning to end in hospital when i broke the news to charmaine that i must go back to california the tears welled in her eyes for two days she was wrecked and broken by the knowledge that the happy happy voyage was abandoned signed in Glen Allen, California, April 7th, 1911. Footnotes. Number one. To point out that we of the snark are not a crowd of weaklings, which might be concluded from our diverse afflictions, I quote the following, which glean verbatim from Eugenie's log, and which may be considered a sample of Solomon Island's cruising. Ulava, Thursday, March 12th, 1908. Boat went ashore in the morning. Got two loads, ivory nut, 4,000 copra, skipper down with the fever. Ulava, Friday, March 13, 1908. Buying nuts from Bushmen, 1.5 ton. Mate and skipper down with fever. Ulava, Saturday, March 14, 1908. At noon, 
hove up and proceeded with a very light east-northeast wind for Nagora Nagora, anchored in five fathoms, shelling coral, mate down with fever. Nagora Nagora, Sunday, March fifteenth, nineteen o eight. At daybreak, found that the boy Bagua had died during the night on dysentery. He was about fourteen days sick. At sunset, big northwest squall, second anchor ready, lasting one hour and thirty minutes. At sea, Monday, March sixteenth, nineteen o eight. Set course for Sicania. At four p.m., wind broke off. Heavy squalls during the night. Skipper down with dysentery, also one man. At sea, Tuesday, March seventeenth, nineteen o eight, skipper and two crew down with dysentery, mate fever. At sea, Wednesday, March eighteenth, nineteen o eight, big sea, lee rail under water all the time, ship under reefed mainsail, staysail, and inner jib, skipper and three men dysentery, mate fever. At sea, Thursday, March nineteenth, nineteen o eight. Too thick to see anything. Blowing a gale all the time. Pump plugged and bailing with buckets. Skipper and five boys down with dysentery. At sea, Friday, March twentieth, 1908. During night squalls with hurricane force. Skipper and six men down on dysentery. At sea, Saturday, March twenty-first, 1908. Turn back from Sikiana. Squalls all day with heavy rain and sea. Skipper and best part of crew on dysentery. Mate fever. And so, day by day, with the majority of all on board prostrated, the Eugenie's log goes on. The only variety occurred on March 31st, when the mate came down with dysentery and the skipper was floored by fever. End of Backward Recording by K End of The Cruise of the Snark by Jack London